Welcome to the Firearm Trainer Podcast, part of ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and today we'll be talking about instructor mistakes and how they can improve upon them. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Visit their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is also brought to you by friends of Pig Lube. Pig Lube brings you the best performance for your firearm by combining high-grade synthetic oil with nanoparticle technology. They also support the 2A community by sponsoring competitive shooters and firearm instructors everywhere. Order some Pig Lube today, and I'm sure you'll be telling your students about it because the unique applicator allows you to use less and then get it where you need it without the waste. Check out their other quality cleaning products and swag at piglube.net and use coupon code FTP20 for 20% off at checkout. Today, we are joined by fire instructor, blogger, and owner of Palisade Training Group, Steve Moses. Welcome, Steve. How are things going for you today? Uh, Rob, they're going great. I appreciate you having me on your podcast. I'm looking forward to this. No problem. Um, I know I've read a lot of your blog articles over uh, the last couple of years. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have. But for those listeners who might not be completely familiar with who Steve Moses is, can you give our listeners a little bit of your background and what you do for a living? Uh, Yes, sir, I can. Uh, My uh, full-time job for 41 years was oil and gas. I was a uh, company landman. Uh, retired from that position back in uh, early 2019. Uh, my passion has uh, been defensive firearms training. I've been a defensive firearms trainer for 26 years now. I've trained, uh, in my opinion, under some of the very best uh, defensive civilian law enforcement and uh, former military uh, firearms and tactics instructors in the uh, in the industry. Uh, like you said, I'm a co-owner of a Palisade Training Group, LLC. Uh, we do uh, training in Texas, uh, primarily in what we refer to as urban pistol, basic defensive pistol. But we also, you know, teach courses on defensive shotgun and defensive carbine from time to time. Uh, I just retired uh, as a uh, deputy constable. Uh, after 18 years, I was a former member of a multi-precinct special response team for 10 years while I was there. Uh, let's see. I'm a licensed uh, Texas personal protection officer. Uh, for seven years, I was the shift lead on a uh, mega church security detail. Uh, I've got a number of instructor certifications, uh, range master, advanced handgun instructor, uh, defensive shotgun instructor, red zone threat management, just a few of these empty hand knife defense, adaptive striking, modern seminar project, red dot site instructor, and I'm a licensed state of Texas level four personal protection officer instructor. Uh, I, I study jujitsu. I'm a Helson Gracie jujitsu brown belt, uh, manual presenter at the uh, range master tactical conference. Uh, I'm a content contributor for CCW safe and the fire uh, trainers association. And that's, that's pretty much uh, me in a nutshell. Rob. Yeah. A large nutshell there, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those uh, who have not seen the announcement yet, um, the Rangemaster TechCon uh, conference has just opened up uh, their 2021 uh, registration. So if you're interested in going to that, I would recommend signing up now. But hey, Steve, that is just, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. Finish what you were saying. I was just going to say, since you mentioned that, I cannot think of a better training event for motivated farm trainers. 
there is so much material and content to to you know study under there. I've been doing that now for about seventeen years. I just cannot recommend that enough. And this year it's at the Dallas Pistol Club, I believe. Is that That's right? correct. It was supposed to be in 2020 there, got canceled because of COVID. Uh, in 2021, it will again be at the Dallas Pistol Club. Mm-hmm. So that's a really great facility there too. And if I can fit into my schedule, yeah, I will uh, be down there. I don't, although awesome. being, awesome. being down there in Texas is a little bit, little bit further away from Ohio than, uh, than I like it to be, but I'll see what I can make work with work. So. That'd be awesome. Well, Steve, I'll tell you what, you know, we've got a lot of instructors that are listening to, uh, to this podcast. What are some of the biggest um, challenges that you see instructors have when it comes to instructing? Uh, one of the biggest challenges I see is going to be properly prepared for classes. Uh, I don't think it's a good idea to take a few courses and then uh, say, I want to put out my shingle, you know, and start teaching. Uh, I believe that people need to do basically an apprenticeship. Uh, they need to take a number of classes themselves. Uh, they need to study under some very good instructors, take note of what they do, uh, try to, not try to, formulate lesson plans that uh, are, you know, they're, they're well thought out of, they're detailed, as opposed to being free-flowing, I'm going to make this stuff up as I go. And then just, you know, being cognizant that students uh, often have a different type of learning style that's best fitted for them, whether it's going to be visual or auditory uh, or, you know, or, or tactile. That is actually, you know, putting your hands on and doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend that anytime that students uh, are being taught that that instructor tries to reach those students using all three methods, you know, uh, show them what you want to do, explain what you want them to do and then, you know, demonstrate that for them and then have them do that. And I think a failure to, you know, do any one of those makes a class that's not nearly as good as it could otherwise be, no matter how talented uh, the instructor is himself or herself. Definitely. I think, I think it brings up a lot of good points. And one of the things where I go along and uh, demonstrate to people all the time, you know, when we're out on the range, do we have a whiteboard to write on? Do we have, um, you know, the ability to pull up a PowerPoint? No. But guess what? We've, if you've got a big Sharpie and you've got a target, you can go along and, and draw pictures on that target so that they have a very clear visual about what you want them to do. And then they can they can go along and see you demonstrating it. And then they can go along and do that same action again, whether that's lining up, lining up sights on their guns, because let's face it, you know, doing that for beginning shooters is not a natural thing. They've got to be explained what it means to put that front sight in the middle of that, of the uh, rear sight. And do they want to make it look like a skyscraper? Do they want to make it like a flat desert? Do they want to have a, a valley in between there? You know, all those different questions I've had come up from beginning students. And that's where drawing them a picture and showing them exactly the way it should look like comes out uh, very good and, and helps them to understand what you're trying to do. Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of the things I will do before every basic pistol class is when we're talking about, indeed, you know, sight, uh, sight a picture, sight alignment, superimposing the target, I mean, the uh, sights or the red dot over the target is uh, understanding that there's a wobble zone. So I'll actually get like a magic marker and I'll say, okay, pretend this is your sight. And I'll just kind of wobble it all over like a small area, maybe, you know, a couple of inches 
in diameter, and then I'll say, you know what, this is maybe what you're seeing. You know, you may not be able to hold that front sight perfectly stable because I know I can't. But by the same token, if you can control the trigger and maintain your grip so that that gun fires at any point within that little wobble area, you've got a good hit. And a lot of times I can kind of see the, oh, now I get it. Because so many of them think it's front sight and then press the trigger. They don't continue to, you know, keep the front sight on the uh, on the target itself. And, of course, that, you know, very well will uh, result in a miss. And the students like going, wow, why do I suck so much? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it may not be that they suck. It's just that they don't know what sh- what is expected out of them or how to put those sights together just right. Because let's face it, every gun's going to be a little different. Your Glocks are different than your Springfields are, they're different than the, you know, SIGs. And that's where you've got to be familiar with all the different sight combinations that are out there. And when somebody shows up with something different, you've got a way of being able to go along and explain to them how to use a red dot, dot sighting system versus just open sights, or they've got, you know, Mariglow sites, um, something along those lines. It's going to be slightly different, but give Bill be familiar enough to Bill help them through it. Oh, absolutely. And one other thing that I really see an issue with uh, some instructors is a tendency to fall in love with their own voices. Uh, <laughs> they will stand up there and they will lecture long after the point is made. Uh, much of the material they're saying then is uh, redundant. And uh, I'm, I'm a, a communications major. I got a, a speech consultancy degree in college. Uh, my background in oil and gas was contract negotiations and then reducing contracts uh, into, you know, documents that were, you know, legal documents that basically covered in some instances, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of property. And one of the things that's really important is that we have to communicate with our audience the whole time. So it's not enough. I got to get my spiel out. It's just that as I am talking to the uh, my audience, you know, I need to be looking around, making eye contact, and being aware of how they're responding to it. And in many instances, when they start shifting around, checking their phones, etc., uh, it's probably because I have just I'm, I'm continuing to beat a horse that's been long dead. Yep, communication is two part. One, you've got the you know spoken word. And the other part is, uh, you know, what was heard. And sometimes, you know, depending upon how you present things and break things down, you know, like you were saying, you know, to, you know, is it a visual, is it a, uh, you know, a tactile, is an auditory learner, um, can really affect how well they're engaged with it. And unless that person understands what you've told them, you know, you're, you're all what you're doing is, you know, yep yelling uh, yelling at the wind it's not going to it's not actually sinking in you got to be able to reach those uh, students and make a difference uh, i i agree rob and the other thing is i you know i tell uh, my instructors and other instructors that ask for my opinion is uh, be entertaining and by that i don't mean you know do a clown show but you know modulate your tone uh, engage the students uh, make them want to listen to you and you know avoid uh, speaking in a monotone, uh, you know, avoid, you know, just reading your notes. You really need to kind of get in there with them and make it an interesting, and I hate to use the word, but I will use it, an entertaining along with an educational experience. And I think by the very act of just doing that, it tends to kind of lower the stress in the class. They tend to be more receptive to learning. And I just, I just think a lot of uh, instructors don't take advantage of that. You know, one of the things I, I try to do in my class is I actually 
have a lot of factoids that I bring up at certain points. Um, one, one of which, uh, when I teach, uh, pistols is, you know, a lot of people know about the 45 ACP, but yes. it wasn't until a few years ago that we stopped calling the like 1911. We started calling it a semi-automatic. It used to be an automatic pistol. 45 automatic. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. And it's one of those little factoids that, you know, as again, I give my instructor students that information why because somebody might call them up and say hey i want to take your class and i got my 45 automatic here and i said you know are you going to let somebody come in here with an automatic and you've got to understand that terminology has changed just in my own lifetime and as such you could have somebody who has been around you know different parts of the country or or have been around different guns and call them slightly differently and that's where you need to you know, be the wherewithal to go along and say you know are you talking about the 45 you know automatic cult pistol like the 1911 um, and be able to question them properly versus go along and tell them, you know, don't ever bring, you know, a machine gun to my range again type of thing because you'll feel very <laughs> foolish when they go along and say, it's, you know, it's my grandfather. It's 1911. He always told me it was an automatic pistol, you know, something like that. Oh, that's, that's correct. And the other thing is, is if you're asked a question and you don't know the answer, you know, don't try to fake it and understand everything that you're teaching. And I have been in classes and I've probably been in over a hundred, you know, weapons and tactics classes by now. And I have been in classes when I could tell that the student, it wasn't the primary student, but it was the person conducting the, the, the block uh, right then really didn't understand what they were training. And they were telling us, for instance, I had one instructor in a class uh, tell us, okay, now we're going to do 10 yard, uh, we can point shooting. And I'm like, oh, no, we're not. And he goes, yeah, that's what, that's what, you know. And then he named the, you know, the chief instructor. And I'm like, go and think about that. You're not going to do, do, be doing point shooting. But he insisted that that was the correct day to do, to do this because his instructor told him. And, you know, in some instances, uh, you're conveying as an instructor important information to people that may have, uh, you know, an a significant impact on a negative uh, event sometime in the future. That is something that they may rely on to save their life. And if they follow the advice that you gave and that advice is just wrong, then not only is that just morally incorrect, that probably opens up the instructors to some liability. So I just really encourage, you know, instructors to, you know, understand every single concept that they're teaching, even if they're doing that at the behest of, you know, another person in their organization and uh, make sure they understand it. And if they don't, they need to bring that up with their instructor. Amen to that, because uh, as we've done a couple episodes on the podcast already is, uh, you know, stay in your lane, know what, know what you know. And, you know, don't try to go along and just make, make it up because you've heard about it. You know, make sure you stay in your lane because that's the, that's the quickest and easiest way to go along and get yourself in trouble is when you start giving people advice on stuff, on stuff that you have no clue about what you're really talking about. Might even be giving them bad advice that could get them in jail or get them in trouble. Uh, I, yeah, I agree completely, Rob. And, you know, another thing is, is uh, if you are putting forth information that is maybe a little bit different than the mainstream, but you believe that to be accurate based upon uh, your experience, uh, you know, I do not have a problem with sharing that information as long as you, you know, you couch it appropriately. 
which is, okay, and, you know, this is something that I believe that might be perfectly true for me. It may not be true for you, but this is, you know, something that I've observed. And now I kind of think, oh, when, you know, A happens, then, you know, B is the result. But don't go ahead and, you know, take some opinion of yours that maybe deviates from, you know, the, the, the current thinking, the conventional wisdom at the time, and then just say, oh, this is the way it is. Uh, and don't, you know, always make sure you expose them to that other side. I just think doing anything other than that is just risky. Yep. I agree. Well, Steve, t- tell me, what do you think some of the, uh, beginner shooter mistakes, what were some of the common ones that you see? Uh, with the students themselves? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the very beginning, it's not understanding what needs to be done in order for the student to make accurate hits, which is basically you need to hold the muzzle of the gun in sufficient alignment with the target so that when the bullet actually exits the muzzle, uh, it's not been disturbed and that's the way it strikes the target. And so for me, I just go ahead and I think you just have to break that down from the very beginning and put a lot of emphasis on, you know, stance to a certain perspective. Uh, of course, it's always true that, you know, in a fight itself, uh, we we'll probably won't have any control over where our feet exactly are. and We need to be able to fight from whatever platform we may be in at that time. But just going ahead and getting those basic fundamentals grilled in properly the very first time you know, starts all the way from, you know, from, from grip to, you know, sight picture, sight alignment, proper trigger control, and then understanding that as long as that student preps that trigger properly, and of course, you know, I, that's probably not a good term because they're, I, I shoot Glocks mostly. So, you know, we do have striker-fired pistols, which requires taking the slack out of the trigger, but it may be whether it's a single action, like a really nice uh, 1911, 45 semi-automatic, uh, mm-hmm. or a nice revolver, <laughs> you know, uh, managing that trigger properly in such a manner that the sights remain on that target, uh, all the way through the time that the bullet leaves the bore, then keeping a good grip on that pistol, especially with a lot of pressure from the support hand little finger. So as to kind of minimize the tendency of the firearm to kind of lever its way in the uh, shooter's hands and uh, returning back on target, uh, prepared to fire that next shot. Uh, a lot of them, if you tell, tell the student, okay, I want one shot, they'll fire that one shot. And as soon as that one shot's fired, as far as they're concerned, you know, their, their job is done. And so I think instructors really need to drive home that it's always shoot one, prepare for two, shoot three, prepare for four. And just, you know, getting those basics in from the very beginning so that they understand what they're supposed to do by the end of the class, not necessarily master it. Of course, I'm not, I haven't mastered anything, but have a good understanding. And then they need to go home and basically hone those skills and get in those reps until that becomes, you know, more of a reflexive nature until such time that uh, they focus way less on handling the gun and way more on, you know, dealing with a, a potentially dangerous situation. Definitely. That, that's, uh, that's good. Let, let's change that up a little bit. What do you see when you uh, advanced or experienced shooters? Um, what kind of mistakes do you see them make? Uh, for experienced shooters, 
uh, the mistakes that I often see with them is uh, pushing the edge a little bit fast uh, and shooting faster than they are able to make hits, uh, primarily because they're around other shooters that are maybe a little bit more experienced or, or better than them at the time. And so uh, I've been around so many shooters now, Rob, and it's just what I've seen is uh, not everybody progresses at the same level. Not everybody just has the same natural gifts. Uh, they don't have maybe the same time. I mean, the, the, the time they need to practice. In many instances, they don't have the money to shoot as often as another shooter might. Mm-hmm. And so my, my encouragement to them is uh, your goal is to do nothing more but to constantly become a better version of yourself. Ignore what progress anybody else is making, and you need to get those basics in place. And I very much encourage, you know, my students to, uh, you know, shoot drills where uh, a particular drill I like is, is the, uh, I'm not really sure who to credit this with. I think it's going to be Ken Hackathorn or Larry Vickers. It's the half test, which is a five and a half inch bull at five yards. And the objective is to draw and place uh, 10 rounds on that bull in five seconds or less. And I'm like, okay, that's a good goal to work at. Now, you're probably to push yourself a little bit in order to, you know, make those times. Uh, You're probably going to, you know, exceed those times, get sloppy on your shots, then kind of go back to your fundamentals and say, okay, what am I doing wrong? You know, is my draw too slow? Uh, Spencer Keepers is a great friend of mine and really a phenomenal instructor. And uh, one of the things that Spencer teaches his students, and Scott Jedlinski uh, does the same thing, is to flash those hands and get that, your hands on that gun as soon as possible and get that gun up and in a two-handed shooting position as quickly as possible. And then you can kind of slow down on the shooting. Whereas a lot of uh, students, they don't understand that relationship, so they'll try to move at the same speed all the way through. Uh, I'm like, okay, get your basics down. When you want to start picking up your time, start getting your, get quicker on getting that gun up to your line of sight and then work on making those hits. And if you will continue to do that and you'll strive on that and be able to self-diagnose, what you're going to find is that you're going to become a better and better shooter until someday you're going to become an excellent shooter. And that's I love that advice. You want to make sure you master the uh, basics first because, you know, everybody's worried about speed. But when you think about it, you know, if you can't hit the target, you can be as fast as you want. You can't miss fa- fast enough. So you want to make sure your, your rounds are, are on target. And one of the things I remind my students all the time is you know, every shot during a defensive encounter has a lawyer's name on it. And if you end up missing, you know, the person that you're, you're shooting at for whatever reason, um, you know, it strikes somebody else that's got, that, you know, you own that. And those are things that people need to realize when it comes to training is make sure that they're able to put the shots on target confidently and, and know what their limitations are, because if they got to draw slow, but they can hit it accurately, that's a lot better than being fast and being sloppy. That's absolutely correct. And the other thing is, uh, you can speed up your draw dry fire. Matter of fact, that's the best place to do it. That's where I really improved my draw was basically, you know, uh, in my backyard up against a, you know, a garage wall. That's where my target is. And uh, matter of fact, 
uh, later tonight, I will actually go out there and I'll probably spend about 25 reps doing nothing but dry fire. And people don't realize just how important dry fire is. But the caveat there is your dry fire has to be correct, which means you need to really work on the mechanics and then go out to the range from time to time and do some live fire work and confirm that you don't have any, er no errors have creeped in there. Because it's real easy to, you know, just make great hits, you know, on your, on your paper target on a brick wall in dry fire mode. And then when you go out on the range, it's like, oh, what's happening to me? Well, a lot of instances, uh, you're not applying, you know, any pressure whatsoever with the little fingers of your hands. Okay, ah, got to tighten that up. Go back, practice that. Next time you go out there, really concentrate on, you know, that particular uh, portion of the technique. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, I've got success. Make a note of that and then incorporate that in your future dry fire and live fire practice. Definitely. Well, I'll tell you what, I know we talked about TACCON just a little bit ago. Um, what do you think would be good topics, um, either instructors or topics, for instructors to go along and search out to improve themselves? Kind of like on, a, on an annual basis. I know before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, the training that I do every year. You know, I try to get out and take a couple classes every year. You take additional classes. I mean, I think any, any of the instructors I've had on the show have taken classes throughout the year to keep themselves sharp and to make sure they stay current with the most current material. What are, what are some of the uh, topics and instructors that you look for, Steve? Well, uh, I tell you what, I, my primary focus right now is uh, concealed carry defense. And so I am always on the uh, lookout for that. Uh, I have, uh, you know, I'll get there on Facebook. Uh, there's some really good instructors that post from time to time. Uh, and or I'll, I'll look for anything by instructors like uh, Cecil Birch, uh, Tom Givens, uh, Craig Douglas, uh, Paul Sharp. Uh, let's see, there's, there's, there's others out there, and they will put forth some Chuck Haggard, I may have, or I may have already mentioned him. There's some really good material out there. And so what I will do is I will study that material, and I will see, okay, okay, is that applicable to me? And, you know, on a weekly basis, uh, I'm picking up new material uh, or I'm either finding some information about material that already knows something about it. But either there's something new that I learn or in some instances, I learn how to better articulate uh, and convey the knowledge I already have. And so this is just something that I do on a recurring basis. Uh, a long time ago, my only resource was going to the uh, 7-Eleven and looking through the, uh, gun, the gun magazines. But even then, there was a lot of information out there. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell you, there's a great book out there called Straight Talk for Armed Defense. Uh, Masad Ayub uh, wrote a chapter in there, uh, edited the book, and there's just some fantastic uh, articles in there by guys like William April. Uh, there's stuff on performance that really has uh, human performance under stress, uh, you know, the ability to see and retain and process information. There's some great articles out there that aren't just absolutely about, uh, you know, shooting guns. And so any and everything I can, I do that. I also realize that for civilian carries, uh, shooting is only actually one, I don't want to say a small part, but it's only one of many parts that uh, a, a good concealed carrier 
has to work on in order to have a good self-defense principles and philosophy. So, you know, uh, anything that has to do with understanding criminal mentality and why that matters, uh, where criminals might hunt, uh, how criminals might think, anything I can do that might make me more situationally aware, uh, allow me to take better advantage of the, of the surroundings in which I am, uh, how to be maybe a better driver, how to avoid road rage incidents, how to deal with road rage incidents. Uh, so much of it is uh, people management skills. Another uh, instructor that I really like that puts a lot of emphasis on uh, managing people and situations is uh, Claude Werner. And Claude has just put out some really good materials. Matter of fact, I was going to host him for a class here in May that got uh, pushed back because of uh, COVID-19. But uh, it would have been just a great class, and a big part of it was going to be in the classroom. And so, again, a lot of the information that I think concealed carriers need to be, or instructors need to be looking for, does not directly have anything to do with defensive shooting. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm also, uh, I practice Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, I was in East Texas in Tyler for about eight years at the Health and Gracie uh, jiu-jitsu uh, studio there. Uh, like I said, I recently moved to Bluffdale. Uh, I've just started at a new gym in Granbury, and I'm going in there, and it's a different system, and I'm going there uh, just like I'm a white belt, and my my goal there is to just, you know, keep learning uh, and, you know, always be in as good a shape and as physically capable as I can be, because really one of the very last things I want to do is deploy a handgun, uh, much less use it to, you know, defend myself against another person. You just the consequences of doing that, even if they turn out, you know, just as the best they possibly can, uh, it's still pretty life changing. Uh, will probably have an impact on me, my wife. It's just something that I really want to avoid. And that's just something that I really encourage instructors to try to drive home to their students is you do not want to go out there and see the elephant folks. You do not want to test yourself. You want to do everything you can to not ever be in a situation like that. If a situation such as that develops to disengage, uh, if you can't disengage to deescalate, if you can't deescalate to, you know, and you can't get away to defend yourself using, you know, the lawful amount of force that would normally be warranted in, you know, whatever your state is. Yeah. And, uh, Andrew Bronco said it, I think succinctly, we win every, uh, confrontation that we avoid. But every confrontation, oh, every confrontation that we're involved in, we have a greater than zero chance of death or bodily harm to ourselves. And if you keep that in yeah. mind, then it really allows you to start start going along. And as I remind my concealed carry uh, uh, students, you, we carry firearms concealed not to go along and be John Wayne um, and save the day for some damsel in distress, but we do that so we can go home to our families. And if we keep that in mind, then it puts things in pretty clear perspective about what are we willing to do or what are we, what are we you know, willing to walk away from? You know, is our pride worth you know, walking away and having somebody call us names, but we get to see our kids? you know, at the end of the day, I'd say yes. But at the same time, if, you know, there's no way that you can get through this without having into a violent confrontation, then it's like, okay, I'm going to do this because I don't want this to happen to my, my family. So I'm willing to take whatever consequences there are you know, with it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. You know, we just got to uh, retain control of that rational mind and uh, not let our emotional mind take over. Uh, John Hearn uh, wrote a great article and did some great lectures. I actually wrote an article on it that appeared at a recent CCW Safe article called My Two Brains about the battle between the emotional brain and the rational brain. And our default under stress uh, will probably always be the, you know, the, the, the emotional brain because it's the fastest. Uh, that's that part of our brain that tells us to freeze, fight, or run away. But, uh, I mean, that works real good when, you know, you're, you're worrying about cave bears and saber-toothed tigers and warring tribes and all this other stuff. But, you know, in a civilized society where your, your problems that you face may be very complex, uh, you really need to rely on that rational brain to, you know, see what's going on and process it correctly and make the best decisions. And that's just something that we as concealed carriers and husbands, wives, fathers, children, etc., uh, we should always be trying to do. And that is, you know, make good rational decisions as opposed to, you know, those based upon just kind of a, a feeling or just a, you know, a sense of emotion. Amen to that. Well, Steve, um, we've been asking this question to all our guests this year. And uh, what kind of books are you reading to further your education um, on whatever topic? Well, uh, one of the things I try to avoid reading too much now is fiction, although I enjoy some really good fiction. And I, there's a lot of good books uh, on, you know, uh, ancient warfare, modern warfare, and there's been kind of some, you know, I, I made mention earlier of a straight talk on armed defense, uh, books along that vein. That is books that were written by very knowledgeable people that know something about a field that I don't know anything or I know less than they. Uh, I try to, you know, seek out knowledge there. Uh, I recently reread Leadership and Training for the Fight. Uh, that was a book that was written by, uh, uh, Paul Howe, uh, former Delta, uh, he was in the uh, Mogadishu uh, Black Hawk Down incident. He's a trainer out of uh, East Texas. Uh, I really admire him. I've taken some classes from him. And I'm currently reading About Face by Colonel David Hackworth. And so these are books where I kind of get to uh, experience some, you know, some situations that Thank God I haven't had to, and I get to learn kind of indirectly from the experience of others, especially people that, you know, can uh, explain actually what happened and tell you what worked and didn't work. Uh, I really like reading anything that, you know, kind of tells me what happened in a certain event and what went wrong and what went, uh, went correctly uh, so that if I find myself in that kind of a position, uh, maybe I will come out a little bit better. And I like being able to, as an instructor, to, you know, use that information that I've read to, you know, convey what I hope is better knowledge to my students. That's, that's good. I like, like that selection. That's, that's a good selection of books. Well, Steve, where can instructors find more out about Steve Moses and Palace, a training group, LLC? Uh, okay, Rob, we have a website. It is PTG Training llc.com. Uh, I've got a number of really good instructors that uh, work with me. Uh, my partner, uh, actually, he's been my longtime business partner, Alan McBee. He's been my training partner and business partner since 1994. 
uh, Guy Schnitzler, uh, outstanding instructor, uh, firearms, I mean, just, just a phenomenal instructor, a newly minted Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Uh, I've got Hany Mahmood, a full-time police academy firearms trainer. I've got some really good instructors, and uh, oftentimes I'll have those gentlemen either teach a course or assist with a course. Uh, that's probably the best way to, you know, get in contact with me and see what we offer. Uh, we've kind of shut down now for the summer. We'll probably do a few privates. Uh, we'll gin back up in the fall. And then, uh, like I mentioned, I write for uh, CCW Safe. I have a weekly article. I try to always focus on topics that I think would be of interest to uh, concealed carriers. And I also write for the Farm Trainers Association. I know you're familiar with them. Uh, that's a great organization. I really recommend that uh, farm trainers, you know, check them out. That's really a great resource, you know, for people that are always wanting to, you know, further develop, you know, kind of their 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 business and their, you know, their their curriculums. Uh, liability coverage uh, for covered members. There's just a lot of really good stuff like uh, that's you know prepared there, and there'll be articles there, you know, by Larry Vickers. Uh, I expect to see some with uh, Dave Spaulding and some of the other FTA founders, uh, Jeff Gonzalez. And so uh, really I can be found in there. all those places. Mm-hmm. Sorry? Okay. Some really great articles by the founders of the FTA. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. And those guys are wonderful. I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. Uh, I get to go to the uh, SHOT Show convention every year and stay with them and hang out with those guys, uh, including Don West. I don't know if uh, farm trainers uh, know who Don West was, but he is just a jewel. He is general counsel uh, for CCW Safe. Uh, I believe he's also going to be a part of the Farm Trainers Association when it comes to the legal aspects. And uh, Don was uh, George Zimmerman's attorney in the uh, Trayvon Martin shooting. And Mm -hmm. so there's just a lot of good information there. There's a lot of good organizations, you know, a lot of of good places for farm trainers. CCW Safe and Farm Trainers Association is just one, but that happens to be the one that I'm uh, most associated with. Okay, great. Well, hey, really appreciate you having you on today. I think our listeners probably got their uh, money's worth literally for all the <laughs> topics that we uh, covered today. That was uh, definitely good for, you know, talking about the beginning shooters as well as the advanced shooters and some of the things that instructors should be thinking about to improve themselves. So thanks, Steve. Well, I very much appreciate your having me on the podcast. And I'm, I really, I very much consider that an honor and a privilege to just be asked. And so I'm flattered, sir. Well, you put good information out and I definitely believe we got good information here today. So that, uh, it goes uh, both ways. Definitely appreciate your time. Well, that's a wrap everyone for this episode. And we have a few requests like and rate our podcast and check out other concealedcarry.com network podcasts, share this episode on Facebook and encourage others to listen, subscribe. If you have any ideas for episodes, questions, or feedback, please email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com. And visit our sponsors, especially the Firearms Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. And remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Make yourself a great instructor and stay safe out there.
ConcealedCarry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.